You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, we've been looking at 1 John, as I mentioned, and uh, we've gotten through chapter 2, uh, 3 and 4, somewhere in that range. But uh, it's been, like I said, it's been a while, so I want to just kind of do a little bit of review and kind of uh, broaden out a couple uh, things that uh, I, I wanted to discover, uh, mainly on uh, the background. If you remember, John, 1 John was written around 90 A.D., uh, 90 AD, and it was written to Christians in Asia Minor. So if you think of, if you're looking at Israel straight on, Asia Minor's up here, modern day Turkey. So Israel, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And, uh, the purpose was to address the false teaching that was happening in, in Asia Minor and to the churches that are in that area. And so John is writing to that, but it's also to, uh, you know, edify the saints. He's writing to Christians. Uh, that were experiencing a variety of different uh, things in the church there, persecution and false teaching, and they had been scattered. So you can see that in First John as the purpose as you read down through it. And I don't know if you remember this, but John was written from Ephesus. Uh, that's where he wrote this book was from Ephesus, and it was um, the place that was uh, the temple of Artemis was located there. And it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And so it was a pretty predominant place for false teaching. And there was a syncretism of the gospel that was happening between all the religions. And so there was a lot going on. The church was being impacted in in definitely a variety of ways. And the book of Acts, I think, gives us insight into this a little bit on Paul's third missionary journey to Ephesus. Uh, Acts was written about 63 AD, so First John, uh, John 90 AD, so not too much long longer after this uh, Acts was Acts passage that I'm going to read. Paul gives instructions to the Christian leaders in Acts cha- chapter 20 verses uh, 29 and 30, and he says, "I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock." And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. So he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in. We know something about wolves in North Idaho, don't we? <laughs> I think, what are the characteristics of wolves? Any, any, any thoughts, any, any experts out there on wolves? What are, what are some of the characteristics of wolves. Just get that out there. Certainly we have some opinions about that, right? They're they're cunning. Very much so. They're stalkers. Say that again. Oh, they're an apex predator. Absolutely. Yes. They're hunter killers, aren't they? I mean, they are vicious. They have incredible speed. They have incredible endurance. Lover of darkness. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love that. Um, and uh, 
when they see their prey, right, they, they pursue after it with, with great veracity. They just go after it like no other. And so one of the things I've noticed about wolves also is that they're very organized. They're very organized structure. Uh, they're like a social status in the pack, right? Just like the organization of a church where we have pastors and elders and teachers and so on, wolves also have a, a hierarchy within the pack, Okay, they don't just go about these things arbitrarily as they're doing this. When the, when the pack is hunting, they, they like to get the herd on the move. They like to get it on the move. Why do you think that is? Why do they want to get the herd on the move and scatter them? Why do they want to get them going? C- create confusion? Find, find the weak one. There you go, find the weak one. And when they do that, right, they, they, they get them off to one side. They get uh, that one weak one or slower one off to the side. And what happens is they surround them. They surround the one. So they really can't get away. And they don't just all dive in at the same time. There's like two predominant ones that will go in and subdue the animal. And then the other ones, the younger ones, will go in and out and then start to attack that way. So it's very structured. And one other thing that they do is that wolves bring their children along. They bring their children along so they can learn how to do this themselves, okay, as they're watching the the males and the females and the adults go after them. The, their prey. This is how they do it. You know, and I find that very interesting because um, it says that in Acts there that wolves were among the flock. These kind of predatory uh, influences were among the flock. Can you imagine that? I mean, people that you may look at and see sitting right in our very midst and you don't even know they're wolves. That, to me, is very much terrifying. Wolves organize with other like-minded individuals. I think that's true. And they strategize on how to bring down their prey. And I think in this example, it's how to bring down the church. It's how to bring down the church. Um, and I, the thing that strikes me about it, too, when I was talking about the children is when you have wolves within the church, um, what are they teaching their own children? What are they teaching their own children? Is it to, you know, follow after the Lord and, you know, trust Him? I I don't think it is. I think it's how to disrupt the church. I mean, we, we teach our kids everything about the Christian faith and we want them to follow after Christ. Well, wolves do the opposite of that, don't they? So it's something we have to consider here that they're training up another generation of hunter-killers. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you will. You know, a wolf can't change their nature, right? They can't change their nature except for one thing. Except for one thing. What is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? 
They can't change their nature apart from the beauty and majesty of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Over time, they begin to manifest their true character, though. They distort the truth, it says in Acts, speaking perverse things in order to bring chaos into the church. It seemed to work because Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 1.15. Look at that verse, 2 Timothy 1.15. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia, this is where Ephesus is at, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. You may remember that Paul was writing this book uh, from a Roman dungeon. He was writing to Timothy to encourage him to be strong in the faith of adversity as he was ministering in Ephesus where John wrote 1 John. And then he says this in, in 2 Timothy 1, start, starting in verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That's a pretty good reminder to Timothy, and it's clear. Stay grounded in the teaching you received and emulate the faith that you have seen you know, in your mother and your grandmother. Think about that for our own kids. I hope they, you know, look at all of us and start to emulate, you know, what we are doing in following after the Lord. Because a lot of times young people, you know, they want to try things out. <laughs> and I say, why do that? I've already done all the wrong things. You don't need to encounter that. But we're supposed to emulate that. And here's the reason why. Because in Asia Minor, he says, where you are ministering, all have abandoned the faith. All have abandoned Paul and, of course, the message of Christ. That's what he said. All of them have abandoned. That's a lot. So I just want to say application here a little bit. The message Paul delivered to Timothy is definitely applicable today, isn't it? Paul tells Timothy to rekindle the gift of God within you. Rekindling it, build it back up. We're in difficult days as well. 
we may not have been scattered throughout Asia Minor, but we are certainly facing difficult days where we need to focus our faith back on the Scriptures if it has been taken off at all, and to uh, focus our minds, you know, stir up our minds, in our minds, the focus of, of the Lord, to be bold in the face of adversity, no matter what is happening around us today, because uh, is not the God that created all that we are ask, we see asking us to do the same thing today? Maybe there are those here that need to rekindle their faith or anyone listening online. Maybe there needs to be a focus there. I, I don't know. God knows. But here's the thing. Did you know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you? Isn't that amazing? I can't even fathom that. Like, okay, how does that happen? But it does. And it's an amazing gift that he's given us. And just because of that, you know, you look at what's happening in our world today and, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of standing up for the truth and the gospel that is within us, right? We don't need to be ashamed. You know, the church is becoming more and more persecuted all the time, isn't it? You're seeing that day in and day out. And uh, the only antidote to that, I mean, what else can we really do today? In our political climate, what else can we really do, you know, other than preach the gospel? I mean, we can vote, we can do some things, but ultimately our responsibility is to preach the gospel to a dying world and to, you know, hopefully snatch one or two from the flames uh, because this train uh, has left the station. <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to stop the end times or whatever we're going through. It's going to happen and we do the best we can, but the gospel is where we need to be re residing. You can see that the church and the state of the church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas of Asia Minor uh, are facing some difficulty. Fast forward to 1 John. Look at, uh, if you flip back over to 1 John there, uh, if you go to chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many, many antichrists have appeared. For this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. The end times antichrist is coming. That's what this verse is talking about. But also, there are already many antichrists out into the world. What is an antichrist? What's an antichrist? Any thoughts? Someone who sets themselves in opposition to Christ and his work. Excellent. Anything else? Denies that Jesus Christ is a Savior. Amen to that. They deny that or that he came in the flesh. An antichrist... Yes, Cornell. Say that again, because that was good. Because Christ is the living Word of God, people tend to undermine that. 
That is true. And I, I look at it as they, they, they preach a different gospel. They, they literally replace the true gospel with something else. And that's an antichrist, someone that does these things. We have many antichrists today, don't we? Stirring the pot all around the globe against the brethren. Can you give any examples of modern-day antichrists? Can you think of any? I'll take names. (laughs) The Pope. There you go. Yeah, it's an antichrist system and an office. Joel Osteen, a lot of word of faith preachers that preach a false, you know, gospel of health and wealth and prosperity. Sleepy Joe. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. If uh, he mentioned that, you know, we need to be concerned about people infiltrating the church. And, you know, caring for them and asking them about their faith, essentially, to make sure that they are in Christ. You know, it's a sobering uh, thought for sure. There are, there are many antichrists. I mean, you think about JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, or, you know, different faiths that teach a different gospel than, than we have. There's many antichrists out there. And our focus, uh, you know, should be noted on the scriptures to be able to identify that. John said they went out from us. And who is John referring to in the, the us? He, they went out from us. In this case, it's not the church of Asia Minor. He's talking about the apostolic, uh, you know, section of it where he was with the apostles. They went out from us. Uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit more as the time, you know, the section we get to that goes on. But, this doesn't change the fact that they were among those that believed. They were among those that believed. And it's possible, even in a church like this, that there are wolves among us. And, I, and that's why I think it's so important to you know, pray for our elders and leaders all the time, for leadership, you know, and being able to identify and manage uh, our church here uh, so this doesn't get torn up by any wolves in our own midst. They look out for us, and we pray for them. That's for sure. You get the picture anyway, that this letter was written from Ephesus. is an important letter to the readers. Uh, Asia Minor had much opposition to the faith. And do you remember the heresy that we talked about in 1 John? What was John writing about in 1 John? What heresy was he addressing? Do you remember? Gnosticism, early form of Gnosticism. Um, I don't know if you uh, know where that started from, but uh, many many people and many writers believe that Gnosticism was birthed in the mid-first century and it was attributed to Simon Magus, uh, a Samaritan sorcerer in the book of Acts. Uh, The early church fathers referred to him as the originator of all heresies. Simon Magus. So impressive was his reputation as a miracle worker and teacher that the Romans erected a statue in his honor, dedicating it to Simon, the holy God. That tells you something. 
That tells you something. What is Gnosticism? We talked a little bit about it uh, in the past. Can you remember that far back? It was like months ago. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, can anybody uh, tell me what Gnosticism is? I mean, it's difficult because I feel like Gnosticism is like a shapeshifter. Yes. Yes. Yes, it comes from knowledge, and it's a secret kind of knowledge. Yes, exactly. That's, that's one aspect of it, for sure. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, that's that's uh, panentheism. Yeah, that's a little different, but it's, it's along the lines. They just mix a lot of these thoughts in there. Yeah? Anything else? Yes. Yes, exactly. The deity could not be in human form because essentially material matter is evil. The physical fleshly world is evil, but the spirit, you know, is great. It's all right. So the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology notes this. It says, Gnostics were perceived as leading Christians astray by manipulation of words and the twisting of scriptural meanings. And I think that's what Gnostics do. They take when I say shape-shifting, they take a lot of different thoughts and ideas and they mix them all together into one like cauldron of faith. And they do change the words and the meanings. Definitions are different. And if you're not paying attention, the subtlety of it can lure people in. And I think that's where we have to be on our game to, to identify it. John wrote this gospel to dispel uh, that idea the Gnostics had, um, you know, by presenting the true God of the universe. I mean, you can't stop that. The true God of the universe dispels all that. But Gnosticism is a mixture of various beliefs, like I said. Uh, this mixture, the, the, the damaging part of it, like any false teaching, I think, is there's some truth with some error. And it's sometimes hard for people to discern what that is, you know, you see that a lot in, in our world. Yeah, exactly. Most false teachers do that, right? Yes, false teachers do masquerade their teaching in some truth. They camouflage it and because they can't come into the church and just boldly start preaching, you know, heresy right off the bat. They mix it in with a lot of different things. And I think that's, that's true when... Uh, when I was in a church in Coeur d'Alene that split, that's what was happening. They were bringing in false teaching in a subtle fashion into the church. And I remember this because um, it was hard to identify. It was hard to identify because some of it sounded right. Some of it was off. And, you know, you're like, well, wh where's the falseness in this? And it, and it was really confusing and it caused a lot of damage into the church because of this. But ultimately, you know, the truth rises to the surface and, you know, there had to be a split in the church because of what was being brought in, you know. And But it took a while and, it, and people even after we left were unable to see the falseness of it and stayed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the emergent church stuff, exactly. Yeah, the emergent church teaching does that. It mixes a lot of different 
beliefs and they mix truth and error all the time. So that's a struggle. Smooth words and flattering speech. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I spent probably, after that split, I, I spent, man, I, I countless hours just researching that movement because I couldn't understand it fully at first, and it just took forever to get down to the to nitty-gritty, and here's why it's wrong. And But it was, uh, it, the light bulb went on at that moment because what happened was, um, I realized the church that I thought was this big really only was about this big in the world. Yeah, because there is a lot of churches that buy into this kind of teaching. So tell me, why is Gnosticism dangerous teaching? Why is it dangerous? We see it today everywhere. So why is it dangerous, though? Denies the person and work of Christ. I mean, can it, can it be any more basic than that? Yeah, it gives people a false sense of security. They think they might be saved. They might know the truth when they really don't know the truth. That's what Rick was saying. I think that's very true. But when you deny the deity of Christ, isn't that tear down the whole gospel? Honestly, I mean, that's it. You, you deny Christ and there is no faith. I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, to me, that, that's the heart of it. But it also denied that the physical matter was evil, right? So creation, all that God said was good, they're saying, no, that's evil. I mean, that, that's destructive. That's destructive on every level. And it removed the responsibility from people to do good. If the, if the material world is, is evil, then I live in the material world, so can I just do anything I want and I'm fine because that's expected? The spiritual world is good. It takes personal responsibility away from us. And I just think that's wrong. So do we see any modern-day Gnosticism creeping into the church or society today? Yeah, they do. One of the, that is a good point. One of the things in Gnosticism is they, they base it on secret knowledge. You know, that's just not available to the masses. You know, it's kind of like in Catholicism, only the only the Pope and the leaders can can know that knowledge. Um, but there's a lot of other organizations in society that do the exact same thing. I think of uh, organizations like all secret societies do this. It's all based on secret knowledge. Um, you know, you got to rise up to know these things. Um, you know, I think of Freemasonry. Uh, if you're familiar with that at all, um, it's not talked about too much, but it is a um, a system that you know takes people along the path, but you know they, the the lower levels really don't understand what the higher levels are doing, and because of that, you know they get deceived into thinking this is a Christian organization and something that they can be a part of, and that is good, because their motto is, we're making good men better. But it is, at the core, demonic. There are other ones. Skull and Bones, if you've ever heard of that one. George W. Bush and his father belong to that. Skull and Bones, it's a Harvard-created institution. 
or Yale, excuse me, yes, Yale, thank you. Um, you know, uh, the Illuminati, I mean, it's uh, started in 1776. Yes, Cornell. I like that. Cornell said any perversion of the gospel always is there to support it or condone it, uh, their bad behavior. Is that accurate? So the Illuminati, Illuminati just means enlightened, right? And so it's a, again, it's a system uh, of, of organization started in 1776, go figure, right? Uh, by, by a gentleman in Bavaria. You know, there's the Rosicrucians, there's... Uh, you know, the Knights Templar, the New Age movement, Catholicism, Emergent Church, there's a lot of different ones out there that you see bringing this kind of teaching that you, you, it's not known to the masses. You have to go through a process of enlightenment, okay, to d- discover like the divine spark that's in you, okay? That's, that's just wrong. It goes against everything that we believe. Gnostics found their belief in the spiritual, not the physical, as we talked about, because of that, to them, the physical world was evil. Some of those who held this view were called docetics. The word docetic is the Greek, and the Greek means to seem, to seem. So Jesus only seemed to be real. He wasn't really real. That's, that's their mindset. He only seemed to be real. It was a way to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They have a hard time, though, proving this because what about the resurrection? I mean, Christ had a physical body after his resurrection, so they have a tough time doing that. Um, A physical body was resurrected. I sat with a person one time during a business meeting. We went out. We're sitting in Starbucks. I remember this like it was yesterday. And uh, we're having a conversation about business and everything and what was happening in our world and what was going on. And somehow, I don't really remember, but the discussion turned to the faith. And I said, we're, we're talking about um, just how she became, uh, you know, her faith, my faith, and that type of thing. And she goes, yeah, she goes, I don't really believe the world is real. I believe it's an illusion. I mean, you know, you're like, I'm like, how do you deal with that? I believe that, and I go, so, I said, so you sitting here, you're not really here. And she said, yeah, I, I'm just an illusion. <laughs> right? I was thinking if I had a hammer at that moment, might have been different. She might have thought it was real. <laughs> right on the pinky. <laughs> But I, it was, it kind of stopped me because it's hard to imagine how someone can get to a place of deception like that. But she had said she'd been through a whole process in the new age of just focusing on these aspects of her life. And you can see the result of false teaching and what is happening with the docetics, right? She took on the belief of the docetics, really is what she did. That the material body only seemed to be there. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a shocker for me. I didn't really know how to respond, honestly. <laughs> I'm like, you're not really here? Uh. <laughs> all, all of my training has not taught, uh, prepared me for this. 
So really in John 1, 1 John 1, 1, Jesus is the antidote to false teaching. We talked about that, right? Um, Jesus started the way to quickly address the Gnostics. I mean, we're, we're addressing his humanity in 1 John, his deity, the fact that he created all things. Um, there's, there's no one like him. Um, John started this way to quickly address that. I mean, when you say there's, there's no one like him, he said in, in John, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body and being crucified. He said, you kill me, he said, and it's no problem. I will raise myself up. I mean, how, how can that, if you're not deity, I mean, how, how can that happen? I mean, I'd love to have that skill. If I die, I just raise myself back up. <laughs> it's no problem. But the thing I like about First John is that it, it, you can see that John's impact of being with Christ changes his life. It changed his life. I mean, any encounter with Christ where you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you know, John says that he proclaimed the truth in, in, in verse, uh, what is it, 2 there. Christ, uh, to know Christ is to proclaim Christ. You know, that's what you do when you're a believer. You share the gospel. You get engaged. You're uh, talking about it all the time. You proclaim it. You get involved in it. And that's what John did. And the reason why, he said, is so we can have fellowship with one another. We can have fellowship with one another. We can, you know, be here together today and talk about the scriptures and just enjoy each other's company because there's no animosity with like-minded believers. We have that unity of the faith that I don't even know you, but I love you kind of a mentality. And that to me is what the faith does. We proclaim it so others can have fellowship with us. We want them to be part of our body. And then we talked a lot about contrasts between true and false converts in First John. False converts, uh, verses 6, 8, and 10, if you look at that, verses 6, 8, and 10 in chapter 1, it all starts this way. If we say we have fellowship in verse 6, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. And then what's the next part of it? Uh, yet walk in darkness, it says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship and yet walk in darkness, we lie. It's part of the satanic lie that we can deceive ourselves or we know we are, are, are false teachers anyway. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. So all those things, you look at false converts, and uh, that kind of, you know, gets to the heart of the matter. In verses, or in chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's a very simple test of the faith. If you uh, don't keep his commandments, First John, we talked about this, says that you're a liar. It's a very simple test. We all probably know people who claim the faith, but uh, walk a different path. It's easy to say I'm a Christian because almost anybody in America will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But when it comes to the obedience side of it, that's where it all breaks down. This is summed up by a band called One Republic. This song, they play it everywhere. I mean, you may have heard it in a mall, sporting event or whatever, but it's called Counting Stars says this, the chorus goes like this. 
I feel something so right doing the wrong thing. I feel something so wrong doing the right thing. I couldn't lie. I couldn't lie. I couldn't lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. If you, if you say you have come to know him, but find, but find pleasure in doing the wrong thing, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. You can't find pleasure in doing the wrong things, right? If everything that kills you makes you feel alive, I'd say the world has got its hooks inside of you. We can't have that. Can't have that. I know that's a, a kind of a uh, long review because we have three minutes left. But, you know, I felt like I needed to go back and um, cover that, you know, because we probably have new people here and it's been a, quite a long time. And uh, I, I don't want to take up too much time today, but um, next week um, we'll get into chapter 2, verse 5 a little bit more um, and talk about uh, that verse um, because it's an amazing passage. And I just wanted to open it up. Is there any questions or anything that we want to talk about in the next couple minutes? Peter? Bring, bring clarity to 2-4 and, and keeping his commandments and walking the line, balancing that out in every person's life. I mean, what commandments are we talking about? We're talking 10 commandments? Keep the Ten Commandments? Is that what we're talking about? I don't think so. I don't think so. What, what's, what's the two greatest commandments that Christ gave us? <laughs> yeah, love the Lord your God and love people. That's very simple. And to keep his commandments, it doesn't mean that you're doing this obviously as a you know, way for salvation or any of that stuff. I mean, we're going to fail in keeping God's commandments, but I think God looks at the heart and I think he looks at our motives and our desires and the fact that we are trying to do these things and that in our human failures and flesh, sometimes we're going to mess up. But next day I get up, I try to do better. I don't stay the same. Very good. Yes, uh, Cornell said that, you know, a believer agonizes over their sin. We don't find pleasure in doing it. When we sin, we know it. And I think that's a very good point because the unbeliever, they don't have that same thing. They, they, they try to cover their sin or hide from it um, where we just don't have that same issue. We agonize over it, confess it, move on. It's a new day. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, they're in the church with a profession of faith and they're unrepentant. Yeah. Some some could. I mean, you look at where they're coming from in Asia Minor, <laughs> all the idol worship going on, so that's definitely true. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, is is joy the spiritual gift given to us as a believer? And that's absolutely specific to John. These things we write to so that our joy may be made complete. Yeah. Right. Being faithful and obedient, you just have that joy. I think that's very true. When you're following after the Lord, 
there's no sin encroaching on your life, uh, you know, blatant. Um, I think there is a joy in following after him and trusting him and being of the faith. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.